Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40. We're going to be continuing to look at the life of Joseph. Genesis 40 and 41 this evening. How's everybody doing? Enjoying your summer? Two of you are enjoying your summer. Has the weather been freaking you out a little bit? It's been a pretty cold June. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that reminder from Billy that uh, you have forgiven us of of our sins and the grace and the favor that you have given us and that praise is a weapon. And so we choose to praise you. We thank you for your loving kindness and your faithfulness. We thank you for eternal life and your peace that surpasses understanding. We do ask, Lord, that you would just bless this outreach on Saturday and, Lord, bring lost souls to you. Help people to come to know you as the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I pray tonight that we be encouraged that your hand is upon our lives, the way that we see your hand upon the life of Joseph, that your hand is on our lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So far in the life of Joseph, he has been hated by his brothers, sold as a slave in Egypt. Here he is as a young man, in a slave as a foreign country, learning a new language, placed in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is the captain of the guard. Things start to go well. He catches a break. He's serving faithfully. God is gracious to him, gives him favor. Potiphar entrusts everything in his home to Joseph. He doesn't even know what he has because Joseph is taking care of it. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of rape, of sexual assault, and Joseph finds himself in prison, and that's where we pick up on our story this evening. There's a phrase that I want to hopefully place in your mind, in your attention, to captivate you with. It's, then it came to pass. We're going to see it twice in these two chapters. Then it came to pass. Joseph is in intense suffering, but we see the hand of God upon his life in the midst of the suffering, and that season of suffering, it passed. Now, not all the time, but most of the time in our lives, the season of suffering will pass. We feel like it's never going to pass. We feel like it's always going to be suffering, that we're always going to be in this mundane difficulty that we find ourselves in. But many times it's leading to something in life. God's hand is upon the difficulties and his plan is unfolding. And if not in this life, for sure in eternal life. Can we say with absolute confidence, then it came to pass? Someday we're going to be looking back on this life. We're going to be in the presence of of Christ. So I hope tonight, if you find yourself in a prison-like situation, that you'll be encouraged that it's going to come to pass. So verse 1, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Joseph's sitting in prison Now there's this event that takes place. It came to pass that's going to impact his life and it has to do with the butler and the baker. And at this point, it almost seems like a fairy tale, doesn't it? You almost think you're watching a Disney movie with a prisoner, then you have a butler and a baker. You're like, where's the princess, right? These are very trusted positions for Pharaoh. The butler being over all of his beverages that would be brought to him and probably a lot of other tasks. And the baker, the chief baker, 
over all of the kitchen and the cooking. Uh, We see chefs and the kind of talent and authority that they have. And these men are considered to be officers to Pharaoh, to the king of Egypt. And they offend the king. We don't know why, but the king is offended. And Pharaoh was angry with two of his officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Gets angry with them, throws them into prison, and here's Joseph. Joseph has been serving faithfully in prison, And he is put in charge of the butler and the baker. We see God's favor here. God's favor upon Joseph that he's given the opportunity to care for the butler and the baker. And we also see Joseph's faithfulness. Joseph's in a place where he didn't give up when he could have given up. He could have said, who cares? I'm a foreigner from a faraway land, a slave. Now I'm a prisoner. It doesn't matter if I'm faithful, but he chose to be faithful to the Lord. And as he was faithful to the Lord, now he's got the opportunity to care for the butler and the baker. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. So the same evening, the butler and the baker both receive a dream, and each dream has its own meaning, its own interpretation. This is the Lord. So it may seem to Joseph that God's hand is not upon his life, that God is absent in the midst of these sufferings, that he is forgotten, but we're able to see God's handiwork. We're able to see the tapestry of God's hand working in the midst of this difficulty. God's going to use these dreams. God gave these dreams to the butler and the baker. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked the Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad today? He comes in and he sees these two men that are visibly disturbed, visibly sad, and he has compassion on them. Joseph could have been so consumed with his own circumstance. I haven't seen my dad for a long, long time. My brothers hate me and sold me as a slave. I've been falsely accused of a sex crime. Talk about a black cloud that has been placed over Joseph. And he could have said, I'm just done. I'm done caring about people. I'm done having compassion upon people. He has enough problems of his own to not be looking on other people's interests, but he's other-centered. Even in his suffering, he's other-centered. Like Christ, Christ in his suffering was other-centered. He was thinking about his mom and caring for his mom. And he put other people's needs but before his own. So he asks these guys, why are you so sad today? This is a great way to reach out to people. Notice people around you, even if you're in a difficult circumstance, and and see if someone is sad. Joseph was probably equipped to notice other people's grief because of his own grief. Isn't that true? And we walk in grief, and we walk in sorrow, and we walk in pain, and we can notice someone who is in a place of pain and sorrow and, and difficulty, and he asks a question. Ask the question, why are you so sad today? 
And they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. So not only is Joseph others focused, but he's God-centered. He's God-centered. Doesn't God interpret dreams? You don't have an interpreter for the dream? Well, God is the one who knows all things. So why don't you share your dreams with me and I'll seek the Lord and see if God will interpret and give the meaning to these dreams. Joseph sends us an opportunity for God to work. He's discerning of the work of God in the midst of this situation. How easy would it have been to say, guys, don't really get bummed out about this. Everybody has dreams. <laughs> You've got bigger problems to worry about. You're, you're a prisoner now. But Joseph said, let's see. Let's see what God would, would do with this. Never forget that you know the one true living God. And as we're interacting with people and their trials and their difficulties, to point them to the Lord and say, hey, I don't know. But the Lord knows, and let's pray about it together and see what God might do in the midst of that situation. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. There's the dream. The vine got three branches. It buds to grapes. The grapes then produce the wine, and the wine is lifted by the butler into the Pharaoh's hand. Here's the interpretation. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former matter when you were his butler. The meaning of the dream is, man, you're going to be restored. Before you know it, you're going to be placing the king's wine back in his hand. Joseph has the wisdom to plant this seed. Verse 14, but remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the hand of the Hebrews. And I also have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Now, this is the story of most prisoners when they're in prison, aren't they? I didn't do anything wrong. And that's why I'm here. But Joseph really could say this with integrity. He's like, man, I did not do anything wrong to find myself in this place. And when you're restored back to the Pharaoh, could you put in a good word for me? Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uttermost baskets were all kinds of baked goods for the Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. Here's the interpretation. So Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. So far, so good. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. Not so good. And the birds will eat your flesh from you. <laughs> oh, to be the butler and not to be the baker, right? So this is the fate of the baker. In three days, he's going to be hanged, and then the birds will eat his flesh. 
Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership, and he placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. So it's just as Joseph had predicted, just as Joseph had interpreted the dreams. And verse 23, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. (laughs) So here's Joseph going, oh man, this might be the open door. I might actually get out of prison. The butler is back with the Pharaoh. He's going to put in a good word for me any day. Two days go by, two weeks go by, two months go by. And then we'll see as we get into verse one of chapter 41, two years go by. Do you feel forgotten? Do you feel forgotten by God? Many times in our trials and in our difficulties, we can feel that God has abandoned us or God has forgotten us. Remember how this all started for Joseph were these dreams that his brothers were going to bow down to him, that his parents were going to serve him. These visions of God's blessing upon his life, and now he's found himself sold as a slave, found himself falsely accused, rotting away in a dungeon. And we don't fully understand why suffering comes in our lives, but we oftentimes can feel forgotten. And we'll come to find out Joseph's not forgotten. He's right where God wants him to be. God's hand is upon Joseph's life. We have to hold on to the promises of Scripture and the promises of the cross, knowing that God is faithful. And God, even though I feel like I've been forgotten, I I feel like I've been abandoned, I know that you're with me. I'm trusting your word. And the word of God is the anchor to our soul in these dungeon times. And I hope tonight that you're encouraged by the life and the story of Joseph that we see, verse 1 of chapter 41, then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. This dream that God is going to give to Pharaoh is Joseph's ticket out of the dungeon and to the fulfillment of these initial dreams that were given to Joseph as, as a young man. Then it came to pass, Pharaoh Pharaoh had a dream. Many times in our lives, we're going to experience, then it came to pass. This season of suffering that we're in, this season of difficulty that we're in, that season passes and we begin to see God's purposes in the suffering that we're going through. Not always, but many times. Not that our lives are going to be easy, but it goes from one season into the next. Can you look back on your life where it was very difficult and it was a long season and it felt like those circumstances were never going to end? But then it changed, didn't it? And it moved into a different season. So there will continue to be those seasons as we go through our lives. But I want to be encourage you tonight that you may be at the very doorstep of then it came to pass. How many times would Satan in our, in, in our flesh want us to give up when there's something very good right around the corner? When God's plan is going to be fulfilled in our lives. So what's this dream that Pharaoh has? He's standing by a river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Black Angus, just 
beautiful beef here. Steaks, filet mignon, don't forget cheeseburgers, all here in these seven fine fat cows. Then behold, seven other cows came down after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh woke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. It got to him. This, this was more than just a, some obscure dream. He's like, there's something to this, and it's nagging him, it's troubling him. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. There's many things at play here, which is always the case. There's many lives that are in motion. We see Joseph and God's plan for Joseph and how it impacts his brothers, which are going to become the nation of Israel. So we have that in play. But we also have a pagan country where they don't know the one true living God, Egypt, who serve a bunch of false gods. They're polytheistic in their their worship of God. So God is working in Joseph's life to save and birth the nation of Israel, but also God is revealing his glory to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. God is going to get the attention of Pharaoh and all of Egypt here. All of the magicians and the wise men have to come in and try to figure out this dream, and they can't. They're humbled by it. No one knows exactly what the interpretation is. I'm sure many of them are afraid to take their best stab at it in case they're wrong with the Pharaoh. So God's revealing his glory to Pharaoh and the Egyptians through this as well. We need to be reminded of that when we're going through our suffering. Remember, our story is part of the bigger story of God's glory being known. God wants to communicate his love to to unbelievers, and a lot of times he'll do that through the suffering that we go through. That, That suffering brings us into counter with the Pharaoh, if you would. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. So the butler's like, oh yeah, I remember Joseph. I should have brought Joseph up two years ago. And he's saying, my bad. I'm remembering my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothes, and came to Pharaoh. Little did Joseph know 
that God was preparing him on this whole business of interpreting dreams. <laughs> and interpreting this dream of the butler and the baker through seeking the Lord now prepares Joseph to come and interpret Pharaoh's dream. Again, to seek the Lord, say, God, what does this dream mean? In the dungeon, in the suffering, in the affliction, God is training us. He's equipping us for what he sees in the future. David was assigned to take care of the sheep where he happened to fight off some lions and bears. He developed his slingshot skills. And more importantly, he developed his heart as a worshiper. Then when the opportunity came for him to face Goliath, he was prepared. He was prepared by being a shepherd. He was prepared by those lonely nights. He was prepared by fighting off the lion. And God is preparing us. He's giving us those skills giving us the knowledge of God in those difficult times to prepare us for these moments. And then notice how quickly things can change. Wakes up, doing my prisoner thing again today. Eating prisoner food, doing prisoner jobs. I'm given more responsibility in the prison. Whoop, whoop, big whoop. I'm the big to-do in the prison. I'm the big boss of prisoners doesn't go on a resume very well. I'm the chief of felons, <laughs> right? They give me responsibility over other, other felons. Here's Joseph doing his life, and he's doing it faithfully unto the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he gets the message. You need to go before the Pharaoh, and you need to change your clothes, and you need to shave. How long had it been? How long had he been a prisoner? Over two years, how big was that beard? And so he shaves, puts off the prison clothes, puts on clothes that are worthy of going before Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and there was no one who could interpret it, but I have heard it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it's not me, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Joseph's so quick to point to the Lord. So quick to give the Lord glory. This could be a really good time to go, you know, I don't really want to cram God down his throat. I want to get out of prison. Oh yeah, I did interpret two dreams. I'll just go, yeah, no problem. Got this. But he very quickly says, no, it's not me. It's the Lord. I can't interpret these dreams, but, but the Lord can. In verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river, and he retells the dream. Suddenly seven cows came up of the river, fine, looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. These cows terrified him. These were some ugly heifers. Never seen such ugly heifers. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they'd eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them up, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. <laughs> Interesting to hear Pharaoh's perspective. So I woke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on the stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one 
who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Joseph must hear from the Lord in this moment. As he's hearing the dream, God reveals to him the interpretation. God reveals to him what he's doing in the situation. Joseph speaks with great clarity here and points Pharaoh to the Lord. and says, this is what God is doing. God is speaking to you through these dreams. And he explains what the dreams mean. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads are seven years. There's going to be seven years of prosperity. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows, which came up after them, are seven years. And the seven empty heads, blighted by the east wind, are seven years of famine. So after the seven years of prosperity, there's going to be the seven years of famine. This is the thing which I've spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the famine is going to be so great that it very quickly causes the time of plenty to be forgotten. And isn't that true? When there's famine and there's pestilence and there's difficulty and there's loss of jobs, that very quickly causes us to forget the years of plenty that were before it. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. So real courage from Joseph to speak very clearly of what God is going to do in the midst of this. Verse 33. Now let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. This part of it I really love because Joseph has the, the wisdom to seek the Lord and get the interpretation, but then he has the wisdom to be able to bring the application. He's going to tell Pharaoh what to do with the information. He's already told him the interpretation. His job's done. He could have said, all right, see you later. Going to head back to my prison duties, right? But he says, I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to tell Pharaoh what he needs to do with the information. He says, you need to find somebody that you can set over this to manage it. That's the first instruction. Then let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. So save 20% in the years of plenty and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So you need to find someone who's going to oversee this job of saving 20% during the time of plenty so that you have a reserve for the time of famine. And then notice what happens in verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. God gives Pharaoh favor to Joseph to cause Pharaoh and all the servants to go, yes, this is it, this is it. 
Now, I want us to think a little bit broader for just a moment. So God has placed us in certain positions in our lives. We live somewhere. You, you live in an apartment complex. You, you, you live in a home. Uh, we have responsibilities that are given to us, you know, work that we do. And as we look in the midst of all of that, we can think, well, this is really mundane. Is God's hand really upon our lives? Yes. And in the midst of those daily activities that we do, sometimes God is going to work to give us the audience with Pharaoh. Someone's going to come to you and say, hey, this is going on in my life. And that's the opportunity that we've been praying for and we've been waiting for to be able to share with them the glory and the goodness of God. It may look like this. They're going through a difficulty in their family. And instead of stepping out, we step in, say, look, I'm praying for you, and begin to share who God is with them in in the midst of, of that situation. Because we could say that Joseph is being used by God to be an effective witness to Pharaoh. Couldn't we say that? A lot of times we get so focused on what's going on in Joseph's life that we forget that God is also giving his testimony to Pharaoh and all the nation of of Egypt. And a lot of times we think that being a witness only comes about through one certain avenue. But God is working that witness through, through our lives as we're in relationship with other people. And someone may come to you and said, man, I have a dr- had a dream that's really bothering me. And instead of dismissing it, is there something that you could really speak into? It could be as simple a thing as their car is broken down, right? And, and to be able to say, you know what, let's stop. And let me think about this. And I'm gonna pray and see what God is doing in the midst of, of that uh, situation. And you might be thoroughly equipped to be a witness inside of that context. Does that make sense? Now, that's really exciting when we stop and consider that from this perspective. In verse 38, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in, in whom there is the Spirit of God? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Pharaoh's like, not just a smart man, not just a wise person, but someone who has the living God inside of them, someone who has the Spirit of God inside of them. We need that person to oversee this project. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. And what happens next is crazy talk. Pharaoh takes Joseph, the Hebrew slave, who's been accused of sexual assault and is a prisoner, and makes him second in command to all of Egypt. Pharaoh shows a tremendous amount of faith in God to put this plan into practice. How many people would say, I had a weird dream, I'm moving on. I do not base decisions in my life off of dreams. That's probably a safe bet most of the time, right? I'm not going to lead a whole entire country off of some dreams that I've had and a Hebrew slave prisoner giving me the interpretation of the dream. But God had worked in Pharaoh's heart in such a way that when he hears this interpretation of the dream, he believes it's from the Lord, and he's going to enact exactly what Joseph has just shared with him. So notice the, the faith of this pagan king in verse 40, speaking to Joseph, you shall be over my house and all my people. You shall be ruled according to your word. 
And all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring, which was his authority, of his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Going from prison garments to the finest garments of the land in absolute authority with some bling bling to go with it. I mean, we've all seen pictures of ancient Egypt. I mean, at this point, Joseph's looking good. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. It's like getting paraded in a stinking Ferrari. And it, the Pharaoh tweeting out, hey, there's a new ruler in the land. You gotta, you gotta bow the knee to, to Joseph. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zerphanath Panai, and he gave him as a wife, Ashnath, the daughter of Pati Pirai, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph doesn't get to pick a wife for himself. The Pharaoh does that for him. <laughs> It's like, you're going to be married. Now that you're second in charge, uh, you have to have a wife. So here's your wife and assigns him a wife. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He's a young man. He's a young man. 17 years old when he's sold as a slave. 13 years of suffering. And he enters into this position as a 30-year-old. What does God have in store in 13 years? You don't know. You don't know what he has in store for 13 year, in 13 years. And I know it's a prison right now. And I know that you feel forgotten by God, but you're not forgotten by God. This too shall come to pass. Wait and see. And the only way to get there is to persevere. Persevere, keep going. Keep doing one day at a time. Do the next thing. Endeavor to be faithful to the Lord. Then have the joy of seeing what God has in store. But we serve the God of no limits. We serve the God of the resurrection. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the the grave lives inside of you. And we don't have to give up hope because we have living hope. And I believe many times in our lives we will see it. Now again, I don't think always. But I do know that when we get to heaven, there's going to be no regrets no doubts. Say, Lord, I see that your hand was upon my life. I didn't understand how you were using it to tell your greater story, but now I get it. Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to keep serving, keep moving forward, and who knows what the Lord's going to have in store. What if, what if Joseph would have given up at 27, right? This is what God had in store for him at year 30, but he had to get to year 30. Does that make sense? So don't give up, keep going, keep persevering and see what the Lord might have in that next season. In verse 47, now it was seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up in the food in the cities. He laid up every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them. So Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until 
he stopped counting for it was immeasurable. So during the, this years of plenty, Joseph is faithful to do the saving, saving one-fifth, saving 20%. I wonder if there was ever those times in Joseph's life during these seven years where he's like, I sure hope I got the interpretation of the dream right. <laughs> Here I am enforcing this federal savings plan where we're taking 20% of all of the produce that it, that is produced, but in faithfulness, he just kept saving unto the Lord. Now, now this primary reason for this text is not a lesson on savings. I hope you realize that. The primary lesson on this text is the glory of God, is that God's hand is upon our lives, that God is telling this amazing story about himself through the sufferings that we go through. But can we learn from this from Joseph? Absolutely. There is going to be times of blessing and there's going to be times of adversity. And it's wise if you're in a time of blessing financially, save. Pray about saving 20% because most likely that time of blessing is not going to last our whole lives. It's going to be followed by a recession. It's going to be followed by a financial difficulty. And the reason that Joseph is saving is not just for himself, but also to, to bless others. And so it's something to pray about and, and consider. It's very easy in times of blessing and prosperity to spend it all, right? Could the Egyptians easily have spent it all during this time of plenty? Ab- absolutely. But instead, there was this discipline to go ahead and do the savings during this, this time. And I think it does show the faith of Joseph and Pharaoh to do this, because even in times of plenty, it's difficult to save. In verse 50, and to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Ashnath, the daughter of Pati Pariah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God had made me forget all my toil and all, and all my father's house. Manasseh, his firstborn, the name means to forget The Lord has caused me to forget all my toil and my father's house. I believe that this was very purposeful that Joseph named his son this, is Joseph is choosing to forget. He's choosing to forget and not dwell upon the suffering in his life. In Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do Forgetting those things are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Joseph says, I forget. God has allowed me to forget all of the pain that I have gone through. In verse 52, and the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Ephraim means fruitful. And he realized that God was the one who caused him to be fruitful in his affliction. I think the two are tied together. It's hard to be fruitful until we're willing to forget. As long as we're dwelling in the hurt of the past, it's very hard for us to be fruitful in the present. And there may be some hurt that the Lord is asking you to forget. The Manasseh in your life where you're saying, 
God has brought me into this new season, not denying that it's not real and that it wasn't difficult, but I'm not living there because God's a God of the present, and I'm pressing forward to what God has for us in the future. I'm sure there were days in Joseph's life where he could never picture himself getting out of prison, never picture himself getting married, never picture having a son and the joy of holding a little boy. And here he is, he's holding his son. This is his son. And in, in the face of seeing his son, he's saying, God has healed the hurt in my heart. He's caused me to forget all this pain and this anguish that, that I've gone through. And then here comes the second little boy. He's like, God's made me fruitful. Here I am, I'm in the second command to, to all of Pharaoh. It must have been hard for Joseph in those years from 17 to 30 to be a slave in Potiphar's house, to be falsely accused, and to be a prisoner, that's a tough way to spend your 20s, right? A lot of hopes and aspirations in his heart, and all he experienced was suffering, but then the Lord met him here and caused him to forget and caused him to be fruitful. In verse 53, then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So it doesn't just affect Egypt, but it also affects the other countries. So when all of the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all of the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouse and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. When there's famine and when there's difficulty and there's crises in communities, I think it really gives opportunities for believers to be used by God. Wouldn't it be so cool in our community and in our city, as our city goes through suffering, and we don't wish that upon our city, but as our cities and communities go through difficulties if community leaders said we need to ask the church you know we need to where we need to go to the josephs where are the josephs right what if in your company things start to hit the fan and they know you're a believer and they know you're a person of integrity and they're like go find joseph and josephina right and I think believers, as we know the Lord and we have an eternal hope in those midst of, of crises, hopefully the light really shines and unbelievers are, are really seeking us out. I think that's what we're beginning to, to see in the neighborhood right around the church here and in some schools that are neighboring us is the schools are going through challenges and they're going to the church and they're saying, hey, would you please come and help us? We, we want your church to come and help inside of our school. We want you to come and, and provide, provide tutoring. And so many times when things are, are good and there's no crisis and there's no famine, there's, there's, you don't have unbelievers knocking on the door of believers. But when there is crisis, hopefully then we're living like Joseph and unbelievers would come knock on our door and say, hey, do you have any answers here? And we go, no, I don't have any answers, but I know the one true living God. And he is the God of, of salvation. So they come knocking on Joseph's door. In verse 56, the famine was all over the face of the earth and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians and the famine became severe 
in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. And this is going to set the stage for Joseph's brothers to have to come to Egypt to buy bread from Joseph. So what do we see? What do we see in these two chapters? Well, first we see that God's word will be fulfilled. God's word was fulfilled specifically as these dreams were given and there was the interpretation of the dreams. Many prophecies we've seen fulfilled in scripture, but someday all prophecies will be fulfilled. God's word will be fulfilled. We see God's hand in the circumstances of our lives. Joseph was not forgotten. He was right where God wanted him to be. His brothers were not in charge, selling him as a slave. Potiphar's wife was not in charge of falsely accusing him. God was in charge. God is sovereign. And God is going to take these evil things that were done to Joseph and use them for good, to use them for his purposes. Do you believe that God's hand is on your life? Do you believe that God uses the suffering that we go through? And I think up here we do. In our minds, we go, yeah, I believe that. That's what the scripture teaches. But when we're sitting in prison, when we're in that type of situation, it's very difficult to hold on in faith and go, yeah, God's hand is upon my life and I'm not forgotten. There's one or two ways to look at your life. One is that it's all happen chance. It's just all random. And the other is, is that God's involved in your life, that God's hand is upon your life. And in the midst of his hand being upon your life, God is telling his story of his glory and his love for all humanity. God is telling his story to Pharaoh. (laughs) What a cool way for God to introduce himself to Pharaoh. Some ugly cows, some crazy organic eating taking place, right? Pharaoh's all freaked out, and here comes this prisoner slave boy who knows the Lord that's able to tell him what God is doing. God's introducing himself to people in the midst of the circumstances, in the midst of these difficulties. We look around and we go, where's the Pharaoh? Where's the Pharaoh that I get to talk to in in the midst of this challenge, in the midst of of this difficulty? Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8? And let's end in Romans chapter 8 tonight. It really gives us the, the theme of of Joseph's life. Romans 8:28. Let's read down to the end of the chapter. Romans 8:28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among the brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen. 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. God is praying for you. Jesus is interceding on your behalf before the Father. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, we could add, or slavery or false accusation or prison? Any difficulty, can any difficulty separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Notice here, it's very interesting. Paul says, nothing can separate me from God's love, but that doesn't make me immune from suffering. And the suffering is actually for your sakes all day long. We go through suffering so that believers can know Christ Unbelievers can know Christ and believers can be encouraged. We go through suffering so unbelievers can know Christ and believers can be encouraged. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. The suffering doesn't have the last word. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. You're more than a conqueror through him who loves you. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In agreement, can we say, this too will come to pass. This too will come to pass. You will not be sitting in this prison forever. Amen? So let's stand and let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, we rejoice. We rejoice that our circumstances, our suffering doesn't have the final word, that we are more than conquerors through you who loved us. God, in the suffering and in the difficulty, may we see your hand of sovereignty, that you're working, that you're right where you want us to be, that you're weaving this tapestry to tell your glory. Lord, help us to see that the Pharaoh that's right in front of us, the the person that we're getting to share with because of the suffering that we're going through. Lord, in those two years, I'm sure Joseph battled discouragement. And for those tonight that find themselves in, in the midst of the prison, God, would you encourage them? Would you reveal your love to them? Would you give them hope? We thank you that this is not all that there is, that this too will pass. Many times there's other seasons that will come about in our lives. There's years of famine and there's years of prosperity. But with no doubt, we're headed to eternity. So Lord, may our lives be fruitful. May they be effective for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.